Genesis chapter 18, and we will be looking at verses 1 through 15 today. In the last passage, uh, in chapter 17, God has made a covenant, given Abraham a covenantal sign and promised the birth of Isaac again. In this passage, he's going to deal more with Sarah. So read with me Genesis 18, verses 1 through 15. And the Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat by the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under this tree, while I bring a morsel of bread that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent, and said to Sarah, Quick, get three says of fine flour, knead it, and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Then they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. And the way of a woman had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? And say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you. About this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. But the Lord said, No, you did laugh. Now in this passage, um, Three men come and visit Abraham who seem to be anxious, and Abraham seems to anxiously and, and in a very hurriedly way want to serve these three men, showing great generosity and hospitality. And then these three men predict what is manifestly unrealistic in the eyes of Sarah. She is 90 years old at this point. She has been barren her whole life, and she has passed the point of menopause. And so this is manifestly ridiculous to think that she's going to have a child. This passage then breaks into two parts, and I want to cover two parts today. First of all, do you want to serve the Lord? Don't you, do you want to be useful for the Lord? I'm going to give you one way, one definite and specific way to be useful to the Lord. Number two, do you want power from God? We have a lot 
a lot of people who are Christians who are afraid of power and a lot of Christians without power. And I want you and I want myself to have power from God. So at the risk of sounding charismatic, I'm going to tell you one way to serve God and one way to receive power from God today. How can you serve God? How can you receive power from God? Here's one way to serve the Lord. Looking at the text in verse 1 and 2, um, the Lord appears to Abraham, and the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. Now, whenever you see the word Lord in all capitals, that means it's referring to the divine name Yahweh. When you see Lord not in all capitals, that means it's referring to um, the word Adonai, which could also refer to God, or simply my master, which is just an elevated way of speaking about someone who's over you. But here, you have the perspective, you and I have the perspective of, of the redemptive reader. We know it's the Lord who appears to Abraham. But Abraham doesn't know that at this point. All he sees is three men. So three men appeared to Abraham, and we know that two of these men are angels. Because if you just flip the page over to the next chapter, in verse 19, or chapter 19, verse 1, you see it says two angels came to Sodom. These are the two angels that uh, comprise the group of three in chapter 18. So you have the Lord and two angels who come to meet Abraham here. Again, that's we have this perspective. We've been given that perspective, but it doesn't bloom in Abraham's conscience until a little later in this passage, it seems. So the men come. He is, it's the heat of the day. This is probably a siesta. And he is sitting there in the shade of his tent, and he looks up, and three men appear to him. And then Abraham is unusually eager to serve these men. In, chat, in verse 3, he, um, the text says, If I've found favor in your sight, don't pass by your servant. Let some water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under this tree, and let me give you a morsel of bread. So there is a, there is a great eagerness to serve these men. He offers them rest. He offers them food. He says that he is his servant. He wants to give them a morsel of bread. And so with great eagerness, he asks them to stay so that he can serve them. Now, what, what is very interesting is that the morsel of bread he talks about actually turns out to be an absurd amount of food. And we don't, we don't get this because we're not reading uh, the passage with these quantities in mind. But this is absolutely ridiculous. In, in verse 6, he says, Quickly to Sarah, get three says of fine flour, knead it, and make cakes. Now a say, or a saya, is two gallons of flour. That's one saya. And that's two gallons. I did the math last night. I'm looking on Google. What's gallons to cups? And so two gallons is, or one, or yeah, two gallons of flour 
is 32 cups of flour. So six seahs would be 96 cups of flour. Does anyone bake here? Does anyone bake? Anyone bake bread? All right, bread bakers. Now, from from a nice boule, like a French boule, is going to take about two and a half cups of flour, and that will serve four people. But Abraham, there's three men here, and Abraham Abraham tells Sarah to get ninety six cups of flour. That is an absurd amount of bread. Then, in verse 7, he says, get a calf. And we don't appreciate this, that this is a young bull. This isn't, this isn't just a small lamb this size that you can carry under your arm. This is a young bull. You know, a, we're talking like a five, maybe 300-pound animal. So, this is unusual, to say the least. And then he gets them yogurt. That's what curds are. And, um, and he, he gives these three men this ridiculous, lavish meal. Now, first of all, this is a, in the biblical mind, this is a model of generous hospitality. But we know, in fact, that Abraham is acting better than he knows. Because if you read your Bible all the way through, the author of Hebrews comments on this very meeting. And he says, do not let brotherly love continue, chapter 11 verse 1, or chapter 13 verse 1. Let brotherly love continue, and do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. And Abraham was serving angels and even the Lord himself unaware. Abraham was acting better than he knew. Don't you wish you could serve the Lord like that, right? maybe even better than you knew? Don't you wish that, that sometimes your efforts, maybe even after the fact, you could look back and say, I was serving the Lord that whole time. My eager service was actually for the Lord. Many of you have been serving the Lord for a long time, and you do not realize it. Turn with me to Matthew 25. Matthew 25, the words of Jesus talking about um, final judgment. And uh, just as Abraham was serving better than he knew, so many of you have been serving the Lord better than you know. Verse 31, Jesus says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious front throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, and the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. For the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. 
I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry? When did we feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger or welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer, Truly I say to you, as you did it to the one of the as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Jesus is referring to his brothers. Earlier in Matthew, Jesus defines who his brothers are. Who is my father, my mother, my brother and sister, who is the family of God? The one who does the will of God. So Jesus is referring to Christians. And he is saying that any time you serve a Christian, you are serving me. If you serve my body, you are serving me. And because, that's because Christ so identifies himself with people who have faith with him, right? Union with Christ. You're united with Christ. We're called his body. So God closely identifies himself. Christ closely identifies himself with those who belong to him. And so when you serve the brotherhood, you serve the Lord. You don't just do a good deed. You actually serve the Lord. So you serve Christ by serving his people. Many of you have been serving his people, i.e. the church. So when, you, when we say the church, we mean people. We don't mean buildings. We mean people and the, their lives and our effort together to glorify God. Some of you, for a long time, have been helping couples with broken marriages. Some of you are discipling students right now. Some of you have been giving generously and secretively to the brotherhood. Some have been an encouragement to me and have served my family in many ways. Some have served the church with their own hands, setting up and tearing down. Some have stitched clothing for people. You all go out of your own way to make sure other people are greeted, and there's a lot of other things you do. So I want to just encourage you because in this church, I see a lot of people serving the Lord. And that fills my heart. And I want to say, well done, good and faithful servants. You are serving the Lord when you serve his body. So you can even closer, you can even better serve the Lord by joining the church. As we talked about many times, becoming a member Serve the church and look for look for ways to serve the church in tangible ways. Um, whether that is coming and breaking down or um, and setting up or um, giving to someone or, or helping someone need secretively, and also serve the church in spiritual ways. Service in spiritual ways is very important. Rebuke, correct, encourage, exhort, comfort. Our, our fellowship 
must never ever just default to the game or what we did during the week. There should be a spiritual flavor to our union, a faithful, holy hunger to our union. So, continue to serve the Lord in the ways that I've just mentioned and that you have been doing, and then don't grow weary in well-doing, like Paul says, because your labor is not in vain. So you want to serve Christ? Serve the church. Serve his people. Serve the body of Christ. In Acts 2, it almost looks like a communist society because they are sharing their goods with everyone who has need, but it's not out of compulsion. It's out of, it is out of brotherly and sisterly love that they're doing this. So, Abraham's overabundance of generosity is a model for how you can serve the church and how you can serve, you can serve God by serving his people. Be over and abundantly generous to God's people and serve the Lord. Be hospitable, because thereby some have entertained strangers unaware. And those who are doing that and have been doing that for a long time, I want to say well done. That's one way you can serve the Lord, definitely. So you're looking for a place to serve the Lord? Serve his people. Look for how you can serve his people. Tangibly, with things and stuff and help and muscle and effort, but also spiritually, with words and prayers, rebukes, and comfort. That's how you can serve the Lord. One way. One way you can serve the Lord. But it's a, it's a mighty and important way. Next, how do you receive power from the Lord? Who wants who wants if God wants you to have power, don't you want power? Now, in verse 9, we see that the Lord's interest definitely lies with Sarah in his visit. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? Now, why would the Lord come to speak to, or why is he interested in Sarah? I find it interesting that it is God, God told Abraham in chapter 12 about the promises he was going to give to him and his offspring. Then he spoke to Abraham in chapter 13 and reaffirmed the promises. Then he cut a covenant in chapter 15 with Abraham. Then he appeared again to Abraham in chapter 17, but he never spoke to Sarah. So you can imagine what Sarah had been going through for some time now, for 20-some years. You, Abraham would constantly be telling her things God did in front of him or said to him or covenants he cut, and Sarah has to take this all on his, own, on his word. So Sarah, I know you're physically barren and you're 90 years old, but God said that we're going to have a child. Or Sarah, I know all these mighty armies are in the land, but God said that we're going to have the land. You and me and our offspring. Sarah, 
God told me to circumcise myself and everyone in my household. Sarah, God told me to change your name from Sarai to Sarah and my name too because we're going to be we're going to be a princess. You're going to be a princess and I'm going to be the father of a multitude. Sarah never ever had a direct conversation with the Lord like this. So in all these things Sarah had to go on the hearsay of Abraham who must have seemed almost senile at this point. Maybe, perhaps. But whatever, whatever Abraham has said to Sarah has so far been unsubstantiated. The only tangible thing that Sarah has seen is a child produced by Hagar, which Abraham is insisting is not the promised child at this point. So, the Lord's interest, I, as I read this passage, as I understand this passage, the Lord's interests in his visit seems to, bring, seems to be to bring Sarah to a point of faith. So they predict, again, what is ridiculous and unrealistic in the eyes of Sarah. Verse 10. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening in, in the tent behind the door. So Abraham, they were old, and Sarah was old, they were advanced in years, and the way of a woman had ceased with her. That means that she has passed menopause, she is 90 years old, and she's been barren her whole life. And so Sarah laughs. Verse 12, So Sarah laughed to herself, the Hebrew says, she laughed within herself, an inaudible laugh. Not audible, but um, she says, or she thinks, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? So she laughs within herself at this prospect. And the Lord calls her out on it from the other side of the tent. Speaking to Abraham and says, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? That word, is anything too hard for the Lord, is literally, Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? Is anything too extraordinary or incredible? For the Lord. It is Sarah's mindset that is placing a limit on the Lord Himself. And the Lord rebukes her, asking, Is anything too hard for the Lord, the creator of the universe? And so the Lord directly confronts her after saying, I did not laugh, she said. The Lord said, No, you did laugh. And so the Lord's purpose here seems to be to bring Sarah to a definite point of faith by direct confrontation. She, in order for her to be, to give birth to the promised child, she needs to have faith in the promise. And only when she is brought to a point of faith is God going to use her to fulfill his promises. How do I know that? Again, going to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11. Comments on this very scene. 
And the author says, By faith Sarah received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. The Lord's rebuke and his visit produced the, the effect that he wanted. Sarah did end up having faith. I want to just highlight one phrase here. By faith, Sarah herself herself received power. By faith, Sarah herself received power. She needed to be brought to a point of faith in order for God's power to be at work in her. So this is the problem with unbelief or doubt in, in our hearts because it doesn't just, doubt doesn't just say, doesn't just doubt what God can do. It limits what God will do in my life and in your life. Unbelief is not just limiting what you think God can do. It limits what God will do in our lives. Let's go back to Matthew 18 for a minute. Or Matthew 17. In Matthew 17, there is a demon-possessed man. And, um, and the disciples try to cast out this demon. Or this the demon from this boy. And it says in verse 14, When they came to the crowd, a man came up to him, and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son. For he has seizures and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you, rather? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him. And the boy was healed in instantly. Then the disciples said to Jesus privately, Why could we not cast it out? Jesus said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, If you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, You will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, And it will move, And nothing will be impossible for you. First of all, what Jesus is saying is the problem is their little faith. They don't even have as much faith as a mustard seed. Because if they did, they would be able to say to this mountain, move from here to there. So the problem is their little faith. Second of all, I want to say with firm confidence that Jesus, although he was using this, these words, was not talking about his disciples going and throwing around mountains. He was talking about faith, God's power, working through your faith to produce disproportionate results for God's kingdom. To do what is seemingly impossible, to move a mountain. And by faith, you reach in to God's power to do what you are called to do. That's the idea. It's the arm that reaches into the divine order. Faith. 
That's how you reach into God's will. Faith. By grace you are saved through faith. By faith, Sarah received power. Mark 9. Here's another passage, similar passage. Mark 9, 21 and 24. And Jesus asked his father, this person's father, how long has this been happening to this man? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water, commenting on the same story, to destroy him. But if, but if you can do anything, Jesus, have compassion on us and help us. And what is Jesus' response in Mark 9, verse 23? The man just said, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. The man's response was, if you can. All things are possible for the one who believes. What Jesus has just done is redirect the question from his ability to the man's faith. The question is not Christ's ability. Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? Is anything too miraculous for the Lord? If you can, that's how you reach into God's power. Not for your glory. But the way you receive power from the Lord is by faith. Just like Sarah received faith or received power to conceive by faith. Now, if you are constantly holding Christ or God's power at arm's distance in your life, it is no surprise that you don't have power in your life. Now, yes, you have the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is producing faith in you. And if you are holding that at arm's distance, you will never receive a more solidified, energetic experiential mighty fortitude within you to kill sin and live righteously and take risks for his kingdom now those wanting to put faith in it practice those who want the power of God then who don't want to hold God at arm's distance what can you do number one you can understand that by faith you receive power. However, the object of faith is not yourself, nor is it the power, but it is God first and foremost. Faith for the Christian, for the man of God or the woman of God, has a definite referent. And it is always God himself. So when we talk about receiving power as Christians, we must understand that we are asking the Lord to work in a situation. Not to become genies or something. It is that God's power might be at work in us. Good? Secondly, faith. Your faith needs to be attached to something God actually wants you to do. This is not faith for random things. God is not going to give you power 
buy that new Mercedes, obviously. I, I think we know that in this church. He might not give you power to recover from an illness. It has to be something specific that God wants you to do. A task he's given you. A place he's put you in. You know, James says, you have not because you ask not. And you ask and do not have because you ask amiss. Because you are asking from out of your lusts. So I'm not talking about faith from out of your lusts, asking for God's power to fulfill your evil desires. Or not even your evil desires, it's just desires that don't come from God. But we do know that God wants us to contribute to his kingdom, right? We know that. I was at a funeral yesterday of a man who started a private school in the area named Chapel Field. Um, and I was so encouraged by his legacy because he was a man who knew God wanted him to do something. And he wanted to act. He was a man of action. And so he sit, sat down with his wife one night and said, we need to do something for the Lord. She said, all right, let's do something for the Lord. The next day, they're, they're applying to take refugees into their home from, from some place in the, I want to say some place in Africa. And they had 11 refugees come to their home and live there. And he would disciple them. That blossomed in, apparently, to a summer camp. We would take kids in to the summer camp and have a regimented time of Bible study and then um, teach them sports and how to drive tractors and planes and things like that. It was a very amazing story. That blossomed into a school, a Christian school, which is now an excellent Christian school in Orange County. The point is this. That man, which we call him Coach, that man was a man who stepped out in faith for the Lord. He said, God wants me to do something. I'm going to go ahead and do it then. If God is in it, he'll bless it. If not, he won't. And I'll do something else. That's the kind of faith that reaches to the power of God. So I'm talking about doing something... I don't, I don't know what call God has on your life specifically. But I do want to open up the boundaries a bit. Maybe God's call on your life is more radical than we often give credit for. I mean, I'm talking about faith to receive power, to sell your house, and move to South America and become a missionary. That's always a thing we punt to, missionaries. But that's a... God wants you to share the gospel, right? He wants the gospel to go out to all nations, right? So, maybe he will fulfill your resolve for good. In 2 Thessalonians 1.11, Paul says, Paul prays, he says, To this end we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good. And every work of faith by his power. You see that? The Apostle Paul is praying that if you resolve something for good, 
or if you're doing a work from out of faith that God would be in it and fulfill it for his glory. So, you know, I was asking Nydia in the car, yeah, I wonder what people, what a, what a lot of people are, are struggling with and they're just not stepping out in faith. And Nydia said something good. She said, I bet you there's, every person has one thing they know they should be doing. And they haven't stepped out yet. Maybe there's one person you know the Lord wants you to do something as simple as tell the good news to. Or one person to bring to church. He who, who wins souls is wise. So maybe it's something radical. Maybe it's something a little bit more what we would think as mundane in this life. I was just talking to Art. Maybe it's, it's something like going to the least of these at, your, at work. Or going to someone who is not a Christian at work that no one talks to and trying to build them up and lift them up and share the gospel and make a disciple out of them. I remember when I was in church years, years ago, there was one, one guy who was just not popular in the church, not popular at all, not well-known. And I remember one day he got up and he asked for help moving. I guess he was moving. And no one helped him. No one stepped up to help him. And that broke my heart, even though I was a young kid. That should never, ever happen in our church. There, should ne there shouldn't be a least of these in this church. There should be an everyone in this church. Um, so, maybe the Lord wants you to serve him by serving the least of these. I remember George Mueller. Who's heard of that name, George Mueller? George Mueller was a man who stepped out in faith. He had an idea to build orphanages in England. And he said, well, if God is in it, God's going to be in it. I'm not asking for any money. I'm just going to do it with what I have in this house. And I'm going to trust the Lord and pray and money poured in. And he even reversed, from what I understand, he reversed the tithing principle. Instead of giving 10%, he gave 90% to the church and used 10% for his orphanage. Now that is the kind of faith that God uses. You're proving God that he is faithful to fulfill every resolve for good. So understand, God wants you to receive power. I, I don't care if that sounds Pentecostal. God wants you to receive power. He wants you to receive power to do his work for his glory. Not for your platform, not so that you can seem powerful, not so you can come off away, but I know he wants me to move, step out in, in faith, trusting that he's going to be in my resolve for good. And he wants you to do that too. So I want you, here at least do this. 
If you don't know what God wants you to do right now to step out in faith and do, think of one person. Get one target person this week and resolve to speak to them. That's a good thing. And if the, to, sh to share the gospel to them with them or to get them to come to a church service. That's a resolve for good. That's a work of faith that God wants to insert his power into. And he will grow it like leaven grows bread. He will, he will expand your efforts. And so you might say, but I don't, I don't, some of you might say, I don't have anything to give. I'm not, I'm not an intellect. I don't have a, a full spirit within me. I don't know how to do many things. I love the passage in um, John. I think it's John. Well, it's when Jesus feeds the 5,000. Peter, or the disciples, come to him. Lord, all we have is two fish and a few loaves. And then what did Jesus say? Bring it to me. Maybe all you have is a few fish and a few loaves. Maybe you don't have mighty abilities. Maybe you're just a man of two fish and three loaves, or a woman. Bring that to the Lord, and he will multiply it for his glory. He will be in your resolve for good. But what he requires of you is to step out in consistent faith. Then his power will be in it. Men, especially, you need to lead in faith. As a church... We need to lead in faith, trusting the means of grace. Grace not in practical um, marketing or persuasion, but in what accords with hope and godliness, because that's how God works in people's lives. Men and women, your faith will be tested by your prayer life, because that is where you receive grace and power in times of need. So, Sarah, by faith, received power to do what she was called to do. So you, by faith, can receive power to do something that you know you should be doing. Or some resolve for good. Or some, faith, or some work of faith that you want to do for God's glory. God will be in that kind of thing. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word. I ask, Lord, that we would become people of power through faith. Not for our glory, Lord. Save us from pride. Spare us from wanting platform. Let us work and give our lives for what we cannot lose. We look forward toward the reward. And we look forward to your glory. And we know that all glory goes to Christ. And that we are a mist that vanishes at dawn. 
but oh, that we might be a mess that had glorified God while we were on earth. We love you, Lord. And we commit this time to you, the rest of this day to you, and our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty and power and dominion now, before all time, and forevermore. Amen and amen. And if anyone would like special prayer, I would love to pray with you. God bless you.